We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. I am here with seven-time Russian champion, super grandmaster, who really doesn't need an introduction for our listeners, Peter Svidler. Peter, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure, Ben. Uh, so I've been combing through your Q&As on Chess24, where you're quite active, and I really enjoy it. I apologize for that. <laughs> well, the only thing that – no need to apologize other than that I really enjoy the fact that people find new and original ways of asking you how to improve at chess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, specifically from a 1700 level. Yes. Uh, but uh, – to, to which I uh, honestly I have no memory of that. Uh, so it really is, it really is a question I have uh, not only no new ways of answering, but frankly no way no way of answering anyway, uh, apart from some platitudes which I'm uh, sort of required to give every once every Q and A. But yeah, right. It's something unique to chess. I don't feel like uh, you know Michael Jordan when he gets interviewed is asked how to improve at basketball, but. Uh, something about being a grandmaster makes people assume that they're also uh, well-versed in how to make every improvement imaginable. 
But so we'll try not to dwell on that too much. Um, so the first thing I wanted to ask you is, uh, you're someone who's known for, as far as the Super Grandmasters go, uh, you're, uh, you seem to have a wide array of interests. So I was curious, what, what is most interesting to you right now, uh, outside of chess? Mm. Uh, it's, it's somewhat depressing, but, uh, uh, at least, uh, you know, in, in the opinion of most people, of most, most people around me, uh, I personally don't find it all that depressing, but, uh, if you listen to, uh, to most of my friends or anyone uh, within my immediate family, I think they they, they all view this as uh, a, a particularly malignant brain virus. I've caught this time, but I am uh, I am very very ser- serious about Hearthstone seemingly uh, these days, which is uh, yeah. I mean it's it's kind of I have it probably surpassed cricket by now, which is wow. uh, which is saying something. Uh, although that that could be that could have something something to do with the fact that the the the, the last England tour was an, an unmitigated disaster, and uh, uh, I I do tend to uh, you know mainly concentrate on supporting uh, my team, and and that is England, and uh, uh, they are not playing right now, and the the the, the last series they played were uh, that was not fun to watch. So I haven't played Hearthstone, but since when you Google Peter Fiddler, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the third autocomplete I, hit is Hearthstone. Yeah, I am aware of that. Yeah, it's it's becoming it's becoming a bit of a meme. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's a bit weird because um, like with with cricket or. Uh, you know, another topic which we could uh, get bogged down in potentially, like, uh, I'm not very good, but I do still play a decent amount of poker, or the reading or music, that at least is, well, in terms of poker, maybe not so much, but everything else, it's, uh, you know, these are things you can at least uh, convince yourself are, uh, you know, ways to, ways to unwind after chess. But uh, Hearthstone is, uh, you know, a game which does require uh, serious amounts of uh, concentration and dedication. And uh, it's not, uh, I remember, you know, when uh, an offhand remark I made at a slow point in during one of the Carlson Karekin games, it actually, I think, made it to the front page of Reddit as a, as a clip. And uh, I think one of the first reactions was uh, a chess nerd also likes uh, a nerdy computer card game. What a surprise! <laughs> right. And and yeah, I mean, in that respect, uh, maybe tr- you know, trying my hand at something which is uh, somewhat more dissimilar to what my main job is, so to speak. Uh, would be better, but yeah, I, I do seem to be taking it more and more seriously. I've even uh, started streaming it myself, which is, um, yeah, I'm not sure if that's the best the best way of progressing my chess career, but uh, I do I do seem to enjoy it a great deal. So, and how do you try to improve at it? Well, practice mainly. Uh, you can also watch there are some people streaming right now who uh, are not only very good but who also uh, are exceptional at uh, you know explaining their ways of thinking and uh, uh, opening your eyes to different lines of play which you 
you know, it's it's a deceptively complex game, and uh, very often uh, players who are not very good will see a line of play which seems acceptable and stop there, and uh, uh, sort of uh, see cards, play cards kind of approach. And the game is significantly deeper than that. Uh, and there are people out there who explain it quite well. So uh, watching those people stream will will improve your uh, your understanding of the game quite significantly. Okay. And in terms of the gameplay, for those who don't know, such as myself, would you describe it more as like a fast twitch, like speed chess uh, gameplay experience, or is it more like classical chess? <sighs> it's, uh, that's not the comparison that, you know... Um, I mean, in terms of uh, simply gameplay, one game takes between, I don't know, 10 and 20 minutes, generally. Uh, so in that, in that respect, it's, uh, it's closer to Blitz than anything else. But uh, in terms of complexity, it's, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's a reasonably complex game. And uh, pivoting to, to poker just for a minute, that is a topic sure. I, I do have some, uh, I'm qualified to speak about, uh, played for a living for seven years. Um, so, are you, how how much time are you spending on poker these days? Not not as much as I used to, but um, I still play when uh, when something is running on the. I've kind of gravitated uh, away from stars, which used to be my my main room for uh, for ages, uh, and uh, uh, rooms where I'm playing at right now. Um, I mean, I'm not uh, a. Uh, when I have an active chess schedule, I just kind of stop and uh, return when I have a break. So I'm I'm not a full time <laughs> poker professional. And I, but when I, you know, in the in the periods where uh, I feel I have enough time to to play, I basically I play whenever something runs. Okay. And what uh what game do you play or what, um, what format? If, I play a ton of PLO. Uh, for preference, I'd be, I'd be playing Mix, but uh, Mix only runs on Stars, really, and uh, I'm trying to stay away from Stars for the time being. Huh. Bad experience there? Uh, uh, as mentioned, I mean, I'm I'm not bad, but I'm I'm not particularly good either. And uh, the problem with Stars is that uh, I'd be okay if I could limit myself to just playing the mix games but uh, they don't run frequently enough so I end up playing uh, PLO Zoom and uh, I end up playing higher than I'm rolled for Okay. Uh, so and uh, as you can imagine that, that is not the recipe for success yeah so though certainly not the, not the first person in the history of poker to have this problem yeah I mean I'm uh, I'm not the worst PLO player around, but uh, you do. I mean, I don't have to explain to you that in, you know in PLO, particularly with with the swings being what they are, uh, being rolled for the games you play is an important consideration. Yes, yes. And I mean, uh, obviously, uh, you know, and uh, this has been pointed out to me by by people who uh, you know know my situation. I'm I'm sort of rolled for the games I play, but I don't like the idea of. Uh, it's kind of a it's a virtual role, and I'm not you know I don't feel particularly confident actually 
making it a physical role on the site. So. For those who don't know Mr. what Mr. Spidler is talking about, he's referring to the amount of money you risk in poker. And some people will take all of their money and risk it in poker and refer to it as their poker bankroll. Others prefer to be more disciplined and actually try to keep the money they make or lose in poker as a separate entity. And it sounds like uh, Peter is erring on the side of discipline in this case, which I commend. Well, for the time being, yeah. I mean, right. I, might, I might lose my mind once again, but uh, yeah. Okay, and uh, I know that at least uh, Hikaru and Alexander Grishuk have had some interest in poker at times. Do you have uh, any colleagues uh, amongst the Grandmaster set that you like to talk about poker with? Uh, no, apart from, apart from Sasha, not 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 at all. No, I mean, uh, if you go lower down, there's obviously a lot of people who are very good, and uh, but I mean, I've never really had any any occasion to discuss. Uh, like with, with Sasha, we used to talk strat and. Uh, uh, we don't really do that anymore, but uh, we used to actually discuss uh, discuss PLO quite seriously. And do you get the impression that he's still pretty active uh, with poker? No, I think I think he is playing less these days. Okay. Not. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I think he's scaled it down a little bit. But once again, I'm not comfortable, uh, you know, giving a definitive answer on that. I don't. I don't really know. Well, we should probably pivot to chess, as this is a chess podcast after all. So. Um, I feel like you have a, a unique perspective in that uh, you're um, around my age, a, li- um, a little bit older than 40, and you uh, have, as a result, bridged uh, Soviet chess times and sort of the dawn of the computer age. So starting with uh, Soviet chess, I was curious if you could talk a little bit about the, the difference between uh, how chess is received and supported in Russia now versus when you were growing up. It's it's definitely on the you know the trend is the trend is upward but uh, compared I mean I I didn't really catch the you know the Soviet Soviet times I was born in seventy six but by the time I went to school uh, Perestroika was just around the corner and you know the whole system was about to to crumble but uh, from what I from what I've heard and from what I've seen the the very back end of so to speak um, uh, I don't think chess will ever uh return to the you know prominent position it played in uh, in uh, the the soviet society in let's say i don't know from uh well the the, the post war years to to the 80s for instance because it was uh, very much something that was uh, supported and pursued from the very top there was a uh, a great amount of state support uh, there is some state support now, but uh, I don't think there will ever be, you know, this amount of attention paid to the game. So, how does the state support, like, how is the state support currently implemented? Is it are players compensated directly, or is it just a, there is hands? there is a stipend system in place which uh, supports uh, a number of top players. I don't know the figure. I I know I'm generally included in the number, but. How how you know how far down does it go? I I couldn't tell you. Uh, top ten, top twenty players in the country get some support, including, I guess, some promising juniors as well. And obviously, uh, you know, even when somebody uh, makes it uh, sort of to the very top, uh, you know, uh, the way uh, Sergey prepared for the match in New York has already entered the legend, you know, the right. legend status, right? And uh, uh, with all kinds of uh, barely believable figures being bandied about. 
Uh, do, do you believe in uh, do you believe those figures to be accurate? I think the figures uh, vary from interview to interview, even so. Uh, okay. No, but I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that uh, yeah, no expense was spared. Okay. Uh, uh, and with the stipend, uh, just the general stipend that you said you're you know you obviously uh, are someone who receives it. Um, is it enough to make a living on the stipend alone? Um. Probably the answer is no, but once again, it's uh, it's higher than, uh, let's say, pensions that uh, some people are getting in my country. So uh, yeah, when I say no, I'm I'm trying to translate it into my own situation where you know I have uh, I have uh, two children uh, uh, and uh, uh, I need to support my parents and and. Uh, and so on and so forth. It's uh, for somebody who is single and doesn't have very uh, much in a way of uh, you know demands on his time and finances. It probably is uh, you know it definitely is a, uh, a not insignificant uh, amount of money. But uh, in my situation, it would not have been enough to to you know support the structure I have. Okay, and in terms, and I imagine that you have other opportunities in Russia, uh, independent of the state, like whether it be simuls or lectures or appearances. I don't, I don't actually, I don't actually do very much in in that respect. There doesn't seem to be a great interest in uh, uh, in that. Uh, somewhat surprisingly, because from what I I understand, these these types of appearances are, I wouldn't say they are a regular fixture for, uh, let's say, people of uh, my general caliber uh, in the West. But they do, I think, uh, crop up from uh, from time to time. And I think uh, in the past fifteen years, I may have given two simuls. Oh wow. Huh. Uh, uh, which were actually paid for. I mean, uh, occasionally the the pioneers' house, which is now called something else, obviously uh, that I started in, will will ask me to do something. And you know, in those in in those cases, I might just do a simul for you know like ten ten gifted kids, and I will not ask for anything in return because I feel like I'm sort of giving back to the community that uh, brought me up. But in terms of you know, uh, actual earning opportunities. I think that there were two in the last 15 years. Okay. And uh, lectures are also very, very few and far between. So, no, I don't think there's there's a lot in that respect. So it sounds like the state support is actually pretty pretty necessary for uh, for the chess professionals. Well, I mean, chess players generally uh, kind of uh, live and die by the sword, don't they? I mean. Y- a lot of people teach. I don't really teach, but a lot of people teach. And uh, if you're prepared to do that, I think uh, you will at the very least not starve uh, from a certain level up because you will always find people who will be uh, ready to to take your advice. Uh, but apart from that, people people play in tournaments and people try and uh, survive on you know a combination of uh, prize money and teaching. Yeah, that's the competing for prize money has to be a, a tough way to go. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not easy. It's not easy, obviously, for uh, the the vast majority of chess players. 
Okay. And you mentioned that, that you have kids and you've talked about them uh, on your Q&As. And uh, our mutual friend, Jan Gustafsson, mm-hmm. was, was nice enough to put me in touch with you with the one caveat that I uh, praise him extensively. Uh, although That's that's also fair. <laughs> you know, quite quite fine with me. Uh, uh, I, yes. was, I, was about, I was about to mention him in some kind of, uh, you know, you, you found a segue. I was kind of unsuccessfully looking for ways to, to, to uh, mention him. Uh, you know, in, in the most glowing of terms. <laughs> of course. And one question I had for you is, uh, now that Jan's a new parent, if you've been dispensing uh, parenting theoretical advice to him and practical advice. Uh, I've, uh, I've stayed with them uh, during our Vike coverage. Uh, they have a lovely daughter and uh, a very nice, uh, very nice home. And uh, uh, I wish them all the happiness in the world. And, uh, uh, my one regret was uh, our Reich schedule was so punishing somehow that uh, I don't think I even had a single opportunity to do the uh, – they live in a very nice neighborhood, very quiet, lots of uh, lots of back streets. And uh, just, you know, taking the stroller and going for like a one-hour walk with an audio book is, uh, is something I haven't done in like 14 years. And uh, it also is a way to sort of uh, do something for them and to, to, to compensate them for having to tolerate me for like two weeks straight in their house. Uh, but there was just no time for that at all, which was kind of regrettable. Yeah, I, uh, I have a baby at home and I've definitely, that's part of the reason I listen to podcasts is all of the strolls that I've taken. Yeah, um, it's, 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 it's very, very enjoyable in, in their part of town. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very nice, uh, relaxing way to spend an hour. Yeah, he mentioned that he lives in the suburbs now, but it's, mm. the, you wouldn't call it such? No, no, it's, yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's still sort of, uh, Hamburg proper, but it is, it is uh, sort of away from the hustle and bustle and okay. all of that. And are you in St. Petersburg proper? Well, once again, we are uh, on the edge. On the other hand, uh, we are uh, a 15-minute metro ride away from Nevsky Prospect and, and everything. So uh, it's, it's all relative. Okay. With good public transport, it, uh, you know, your, your definition of what's in the center and what's not is, is I think, uh, it's generally quite unclear. Yes. I mean, we're definitely not in the center. We are 15 minutes away from it, though, sort of door to door. Okay. Which, uh, <laughs> which makes it very accessible. Yeah, sounds pretty good to me. I, uh, I lived there for a few months, and it's a beautiful city. Mm. Um, so getting back to chess computers, uh, you... Um, as I, you told an amazing story in one of the Q and A's that I thought uh, you could possibly retell for the listeners about uh, how you used to get informants in Saint Petersburg. Mm. Do you mind sharing that? Well, I might uh, sort of tell it differently because I don't, I don't actually remember what I said. But uh, I mean, the setup I do remember. Uh, the informants. Uh, I will probably lie to you about the number, but I will not be wrong by I think an order of magnitude. I think for Leningrad in those years. Uh, there was one specific store in the center of town. I can even sort of still picture where it was, although I haven't been there in, in God knows how long, that got them uh, in bulk. And the number for the entire city was maybe, I think, between 60 and 100. I have this number of 60 informants per city. 
in my head. I have no idea where it comes from, but I, I have a feeling somebody told me that once. Uh, and uh, obviously, once you were good enough to get some things published in the informant, uh, you would get them for free, uh, mailed to your address. But uh, that, you know, that did not happen very early, especially in those years. Like I became grandmaster at the age of 18. And, uh, you know, I was not considered to be a dim child who should quit chess immediately, which probably would be most people's uh, reaction to, to those news these days. <laughs> uh, like, uh, and, I mean, no disrespect meant. I, I, I don't mean this to, 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 I mean, I don't mean to sound discouraging to all the people who are in Grandmasters by 18. But uh, I think the number was revised downwards drastically. Like, uh, most people who are, uh, you even read read these stories about people who are giving ultimatums. So, you know, you're like you become 2,700 by the time you are, I don't know, 16, 17, whatever the number is. Or you go to, you concentrate on school and you forget the silliness. You read this in interviews. And uh, I got my, all of my norms came uh, in, the, in the year 1994, sort of between 17, um, between the ages of 17 and 18. And by the end of 1994, I was like maybe 25, 40 or something. And all of that was acceptable. But returning to the informants, uh, somewhere around that time, I, I sort of became... Uh, professional enough and started playing in tournaments which were you know, subjectively, it felt to me important enough to try and publish some games from them in the informant. But uh, until that time you, like if, if you could actually get yourself one and you could travel with it to tournaments you felt like you had a huge head start on all of your competitors because uh, I remember when I started playing in the uh, Soviet Junior Championships uh, everybody traveled with books first and foremost. Books and those, you know, thick notebooks uh, filled with uh, theoretical ideas of their own. And uh, and also this particular, you know, horrible memory from my childhood. Uh, my dad used to uh, spend evenings uh, because in a tournament like the the, the Soviet Junior Championship. Now, there's obviously not going to be, if we're talking like early 90s, maybe even late 80s, there's not going to be a bulletin published with the, with the games of every round. So if you wanted to know what your opponents are playing, uh, either you or your coach or your parent, and in my case it was mainly my dad, would need to go to the arbiters, get the score sheets, and copy, the, copy them down by hand. So we had those notebooks, uh, which were also passed around, and they were like treasures beyond belief, of uh, copied down by hand uh, uh, notations of games played by uh, prominent juniors uh, this year, previous year, and, and so on. Uh, it's kind of unthinkable right now. I mean, I... I, I, I <laughs> I have a feeling some of your younger listeners will will feel I'm telling you know tall stories there, are trying to uh, make my childhood experiences more horrific than they actually were. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, all all of this is true. I mean, that was how data was disseminated. Yeah. There were there was uh, you know we didn't have computers and uh, databases came much later, at least uh, to. Uh, to Soviet Union and, and Russia in its infancy. Uh, 
I think my first my first personal computer was uh, I mean the, the the one we got at home. Uh, I think I was fifteen at the time. Wow. It wasn't a very strong computer either. Yeah. And I had NigBase installed on it. Do you know what NigBase is? I do not. Although is it new and chess yeah. related? <laughs> I think most most of your listeners will not know what NigBase is. Uh, yeah, uh, at some point, New Chess uh, had this project of uh, you know competing for the all-encompassing uh, database uh, product. They did not obviously win that war, but I think that was the first the first uh, database software I ever had. And followed followed by Chess Assistant, followed by Chess Base in some order. Yeah, and now you said I know that you mentioned you've. There was a period where when new in, when the week in chess would update, you would go through all the games. Uh, you said you no longer do that, but you you do update your database when. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I keep the database updated, but I I, I no longer uh, feel the urge of just going through the you know the entire database game by game. Obviously, you don't spend more than a few seconds on on a game unless it's something that interests you in terms of openings or. You, you know, your eye is caught by a particular striking position and you want to investigate. But I still, I, I used to do that and uh, uh, I no longer do. And um, I'm not sure it's good that I don't, that I no longer do, to be honest. I'm, it's probably, probably signifies something which is uh, uh, not, you know, it's, it probably says something about me which is not entirely optimistic, but who knows? Well, I, I, I get what you're getting at in terms of maybe um, your your motivation for chess not being at its 100% peak, but but your rating is still very close to its its. Yeah, I'm, I'm mark. hoping I'm hoping it's not motivation. I'm hoping it's more, uh, well, obviously like ninety to ninety five percent of uh, any given tweak will be uh, useless to me because. Uh, I do watch most important tournaments live, so by that point I will have seen more or less everything that really interests me uh, in terms of uh, current chess tournaments. I, I will have already seen that. And of the rest, uh, things that uh, I actually need to know in terms of uh, you know opening knowledge that will make a significant you know difference to my my quality of life in the next tournament, for instance, like an important novelty which I I need to be aware of, uh, uh, so as not to to get caught out completely next time I play a certain opening. This will not happen uh, every week or even every tenth week, I think. So uh, I think it's just the investment of energy uh, uh, that you know this requires. Uh, it doesn't feel that necessary anymore, but uh, it's also a question of uh, of uh, general interest, of course. Right, and you're also, yeah, I mean, you're announcing a decent amount of the tournaments for Chess Twenty Four, uh, which I I think you mentioned you think actually helps keep you sharp. It is it is chess work. I mean, if you want to do it properly, it is very very serious chess work. You keep uh, uh, you keep your brain. Uh, you know, very very focused on chess for five, six times, six hours a day for a couple of weeks. It's maybe not uh, chess work that is specific to your particular needs at the time. Like uh, 
it probably will not lead to me suddenly understanding how to refute the Berlin, even though every single tournament there will be people who will be trying to solve that problem <laughs> sort of over the board, and I will be watching, and even when it actually happens, which I kind of doubt, uh, you know, if I'm actually commentating on that event, I will be, you know, I will have ringside seats to, to that wonderful event, but... It is uh, kind of all-round chess work, which, uh, as mentioned, doesn't solve concrete, con concrete problems you may have with your repertoire, for instance. But uh, um, it still it still it still requires a very very high level of concentration, and uh, that uh, that keeps you in shape in terms of uh, thinking about chess and. Uh, Keeping in touch with the game. Yes, and you and Jan usually don't use a computer. Is that something that you guys talked over, or was that a Chess Twenty Four decision? How did you uh, decide oh. to take that approach? Well, I mean, we, we it's not it's not something that was sort of passed down from above. It's it's something that we've always felt the most comfortable about. Even uh, I mean. Uh, uh, our cooperation dates to it sort of predates Chess Twenty Four, and uh, um, the thing is, uh, everyone has a machine. Also, the website on which people are watching this broadcast. You know, they, most people will not watch us in uh, you know full full screen window. They will most likely watch us uh, you know in the window provided on the website next to the board, and the board will have the, the machine running. Uh, and uh, because of that, uh, just uh, you know, reading the first line to them, uh, in some positions you do feel uh, it's probably good to just check with the machine because uh, if the position is very, very complicated, then also you get the feeling that the solution exists. Uh, and you are you know, stumbling about uh, looking at various things uh, when the machine has already spewed out some line which says uh, that, 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 and, and then this, and white is just winning, then uh, you do feel you're cheating, cheating your audience a little bit because, uh, you know, the answer is there, and they probably, what's even worse, they, they probably have already seen that the answer at least exists, and maybe it already is quite clearly visible in the first line. And there we are, still completely stuck, uh, some way away from it. And in those situations, yes, it does. It does feel like maybe uh, checking with the machine is uh, is good and proper. But in general, uh, if we are not to turn into uh, just basically, you know, announcers of the first line, uh, which I think would be a bit boring uh, to the viewers in most cases. I think our purpose should be to try and illustrate how a chess player of a high level, uh, how he would approach thinking about uh, any given position. And this is what we're trying to do sort of live on air. Uh, you, get, you get a position, either a new position, if let's say if we switch between games, we get something completely fresh. Let's say we haven't returned to a game for an hour and a half, and it's, it's a position we see for the first time. Or when you're commentating on a, on a singular game, like when we were covering Carlson Karakin, we had only one game really to talk about. So you get the entire flow of the game uh, covered by, by two people who play chess to a very good level. And yes, we will be missing stuff. 
but what we will be missing live on air is also what we would be missing if we were actually playing that game. Uh, so the entire thought process, uh, warts and all, so to speak, is is uh, this way being demonstrated to to the viewers. And I think that's, uh, the, in my view, that should be uh, the aim. Um, because, uh, you know, just... Uh, just informing people of what the best the best move in the position is without really explaining how to arrive at that solution is pointless to a degree in my opinion but don't you feel like the act of announcing and uh, trying to keep the conversation moving uh, makes it uh, less um, resemble an actual tournament game like it's not the it's not exactly the same is it no, it's obviously not, but uh, I think you can get close enough. I think uh, I think we actually do get close enough because uh, when I when I try to explain something about the position, I will actually go through uh, you know the way I would approach it, and uh, the complaint maybe is that. Especially when I get excited about something in the position, I I don't try to uh, sort of uh, I don't downshift, and uh, perhaps it you, you know perhaps uh, an effort can be made to be more accessible to people uh, who perhaps. Uh, Feel that uh, what both uh, both me and uh, and Gusti in sometimes we just go too fast. We we assume that uh, the viewers will be able to to follow the train of thought at the speed that it occurs. And we both are very strong chess players, so uh, perhaps uh, you know some some parts of the audience will feel that uh, we could and maybe should slow down occasionally, but. I think we do give a fairly honest, uh, fairly honest impression of uh, how a grandmaster would approach any certain, any given position. And you guys managed to make a good impression on Norm Macdonald, who I assume is not. Yeah, a- but then, but then there was the whole C- Canada debacle. So what was the Canada debacle? You haven't seen that. Oh, that was just so that. horrible. Uh, no, Jan. We started talking about something, and then Jan. Uh, mentioned this this thing that uh, and that was uh, I think obviously post election so there was this idea that uh, for all the people who are who were you know saying I am now moving to Canada right uh, the idea was if you can't name six Canadian cities you do not get to move to Canada and uh, the thing is. I actually did geography in school, and my parents bought me a world map when I was about seven. And in any kind of a relaxed, non-live-on-air situation, I think I would have done okay. But in that spot, like with uh, a decent amount of people watching, I just had this complete blackout. Like we got, we got Toronto and... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, blank, I'm Mont- blanking Montreal, out. Montreal, I assume. Yeah, we got like three or four, and then we both got completely stuck. <laughs> uh, and we, we failed to even name Ottawa, and I don't know the Ottawa is, is the capital of the country. Uh, trust me, I do. 
in, a, in, in any kind of a normal setting, it would not have been a difficult. I mean, I would start by asking myself what the capital of the country is, and I don't know the answer to that question. And I sat there like completely stupefied for about a minute. And then I said Alberta, which is a state, but not a city. And uh, and that was like all, uh, next day after Norm followed us. <laughs> Did he unfollow that you? Was, no, he didn't. Okay. But uh, the, I still uh, – it's, it's good that you can't see my face right now because I <laughs> – like I – I'm very, very red still. The moment I mean, every time I remember this, I become acutely embarrassed. That was just horrendous. Well, it's tough to remember reams of opening theory and six cities in Canada. <laughs> no, but it, it, it really isn't like it really isn't that difficult, honestly. Uh, and uh, it's not the like I, I had this experience once before, sort of a similar experience. Like I. Uh, I used to read a decent amount of poetry, and I even, you know, I, I would sort of hesitate to call them poems, but I I did rhyme things in my youth, let's put it like this. <laughs> and then, uh, that was like when I think I was like 17 or 18, uh, I, I was uh, listening to a radio station uh, with my then girlfriend. And there was suddenly a competition on it where basically they would uh, you you would call in and if you were if your call actually got through, you had thirty seconds in which they would the uh, the DJ would say a word and you were supposed to say something that rhymed with it. With it. And uh, whoever got the most rhymes in for the in the thirty seconds that they were provided would win a prize of some sort. So I got goaded into calling in, uh, hoping, frankly, that, you know, I will not get through. But somehow I got through. And uh, the moment I heard my, my, my voice coming out of the coming out of the boombox, everything just went flat inside my head. Like, I think I got two out of the. That was that was even worse than Canada. I think I, I, I still remember that as well. So I have those two experiences of like extreme stage fright in interspersed or I mean it's not it's not a normal occurrence. I feel quite okay speaking publicly in general, but there are those two episodes of just completely blacking out. Yeah. Well considering all of the airtime that you filled, I don't think two two uh two episodes is too bad. <laughs> But I guess they did leave a mark. Yeah, but, but, I mean the, the Canada thing would be okay. Well, not okay, but it wouldn't it wouldn't have been so so unbearably painful if not for the Norm thing. <laughs> so you're you really want to make an impression on Norm, huh? Wouldn't you? I mean, Norm I'm is, a fan of his Norm comedy is, for sure. <laughs> Norm is Norm is God. Come on. <laughs> Any other uh, comedians you're a particular fan of? I'm not. Uh, I can't say I am. You know, very much up to date on that subject. I used to war, watch a, uh, a decent amount of British comedy. I think in the mainly because uh, for a while I used to have a Skybox, uh, which uh, it's a long story, which probably should not make it into this podcast. But it, it kind of at some point it quite literally went up in flames. And that's not the story. That's just, you know, uh, equipment uh, dying due to the uh, very sharp swings in, you know, Russian electrical. Uh, <laughs> right. Like we, I mean, the the voltage goes up and down here. You, you do get very sharp spikes. 
and uh, precision equipment doesn't really like that. So at some point it really did. Like I, I, I came into the room and there was smoke coming out of it. Wow. Uh, and I tried to replace it. And the story of how I tried to replace it, uh, that one is is quite fun to tell, but probably not in this format. Okay. So I, I no longer have a skybox is the end result of it. Okay. Uh, and uh, because of that, I can't really watch all the British comedy I used to be able to watch. But and probably can't keep American, up. The, the American scene, I, I, I never really knew, and I, I still don't. Uh, during the uh, the time I spent at Jan's during Vike, uh, we did watch some uh, some stand-up uh, on Jan's Netflix. And uh, I did like some of it, but uh, yeah, I can't say I have any favorites. Yeah, I was going to mention Jan because I know that uh, as you are to Hearthstone, he is to comedy. So <laughs> yeah, he is a very serious student of that of that scene. Yeah, yes. I yeah I, I can't keep up with him. I'm I've he still occasionally asks me uh, about new things to watch in terms of TV series. There, I think he he, he still respects my my life choices. But uh, yeah, in comedy, I'm, I'm nowhere close. So what do you recommend these days in terms of a TV series? Recent stuff, I mean, for, it's kind of boring to name things that people either have already watched or people sort of know they need to watch. Like, uh, uh, I don't think enough people know about You're the Worst. I think You're the Worst is uh, is something people should be watching. Uh, and uh, something that uh, I mentioned a number of times, I think, during our broadcasts, and also I did uh, I did mention it on Twitter and some some time ago. Uh, a British TV series called The Detectorists. Okay. Uh, I think is is absolutely fantastic. There's also some other things, and uh, I, I think like what's happening in 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 American TV right now is generally quite well documented, and people are uh, aware of what they should and shouldn't watch. But uh, British TV, you still you still find uh, you still find things which aren't. You know, as uh, aggressively marketed, like the I don't know, the Honorable Woman is a is a good series. Uh, uh, Reaver is a good series. There's the, there are some things there which are I think very very much uh, worth watching. Okay, yeah, you're the worst. Is on was on my list. The others were not. But you know, I have young kids, so my list just gets longer and longer. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm aware. I'm aware of how that is. I just bought a four terabyte uh, external hard drive, and I'm planning to migrate everything onto that because, uh, like, my my hard drives are full. Yeah. And I, I'm a I'm a compulsive storer of things, and uh, my hard my hard drives are just full both uh, both internal and external and I, I felt the need to expand quite drastically because uh, like it's uh, my machines are dying because of it basically <laughs> uh, and uh, in this political climate I feel compelled to ask you if you've watched the Americans at all the, the thing is uh, and I understand that uh, he, in this case maybe it will not be as cringeworthy as uh, as all the others but you, you, you have to understand that for Russians uh, like the attempts of uh, creators of TV series everywhere to portray Russians are uh, difficult to watch for people who speak the language. And what was the last thing that Jan, Jan got me to watch? 
Ah, uh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, we had this idea during the last Bundesliga weekend that if we if we finish our game early enough, we were we were going to go and watch uh, Keanu Reeves kill people. <laughs> uh, and uh, in in preparation for that, I I decided to to watch the you know the original John Wick. And uh, the original John Wick features uh, as uh, antagonists uh, some kind of Russian mob. Uh, of which uh, there are, you know, their name is Legion, obviously, and uh, uh, I forget who plays the the father of the family, the son of the family who makes the, you know, the fatal offense of killing John Wick's dog, is played by the guy who plays uh, Theon Greyjoy, which is uh, kind of funny, and. Uh, they all speak Russian to each other with with subtitles on screen, and it sounds like nothing at all, and and makes it very hard to watch what is in general a very enjoyable bloodbath movie. Right. For us, you know, I mean, you probably would would not feel particularly alienated by any of that, but but for me, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be nominated for any awards anyway, but uh, it's okay for the genre, uh, apart from the fact that I do get very annoyed by the portrayal, by the portrayal of Russians by non-Russians. Uh, therefore, you know the Americans. Uh, I I I know it's supposed to be very good, but I, I'm kind of hesitating to uh, to start because I I feel that you know I have this problem that once I start watching more or less anything, unless it's horrifically bad, I kind of feel obligated to continue until I've watched it to the end. Right. And uh, with the Americans, it's uh, it's a serious time investment. It's already, I think, three seasons in? Or yeah, at least start, two, but starting probably, probably. the fourth. Yeah, I'll, yeah. Just, I'll just leave it at this and say this about it. It is one show where the pilot is actually good, so you can watch the pilot and you know if you'll like it or not. Um, I think I think I probably will, but once again, returning to the four terabyte uh, hard drive, my backlog is so huge yeah. that uh, I'm also not unless like five people tell me that uh, my life will not be complete until I watch something, uh, and I don't think the American qual the American yeah, I, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I need to clear the backlog first before yeah. I engage in uh, in anything new. Okay. Well, speaking of clearing the backlog, I feel like we should get back to chess for for our listeners. Sure. Although uh, I, I love to hear you talk about pop culture and literature and all that good stuff too. But so getting to chess, um, I had mentioned before you're you're very close to your peak rating and you're what is con generally considered past peak age for chess. So I was curious if well, you the thing about that is uh, when I hit twenty seven sixty three, I think, which was I think my my top rating. I don't even remember which year that was, but that was some years ago. Twenty six, uh, twenty seven sixty three then, and and my twenty seven fifty now are very very different beasts. Uh, and uh, saying that I'm close to my peak rating is, uh, I mean, it's. I probably should not be uh, trying to downplay it so hard, but uh, it's it's a bit unfair. It's flattering, but unfair. Well, uh, I, kn I know that the rating scale flattens at your level, but it would still basically be like two good tournaments, right? Is that accurate? It's not that. It's just that, you know, uh, 2750 then uh, was what, 
2800 is now. Okay. Uh, at, at the very least. Okay. I think. Maybe even like 27, I mean 28, 10, 20. I mean, the inflation is, uh, I'd be hard pressed to explain, you know, the math behind the inflation. But the inflation is real. And uh, not that 2750 right now is is a bad rating. Once again, I'm not trying to to tell you I'm I'm useless as a chess player, but to say that I'm close to my to my uh, top top rating now feels like uh, a statement which is factually correct, but uh, sort of somewhat incorrect in spirit. Okay. And do you feel when you're either calculating or trying to remember a theory, do you do you feel uh, far from your peak? Well, in terms of memory, definitely. In terms of uh, the amount of inexplicable blunders I make per year, um, I would have to say yes. I do understand some things better than I used to understand uh, 10 or 15 years ago, and there are some things I probably do better now than I did when I was 25. But in general... uh, there are most certainly memory issues. There are most certainly um, issues with, uh, uh, well, blackouts basically. Like if you if you take a look at my at my play uh, last year, um, I can off the top of my head I can name a number of games where I just made what were. Just outright blunders, like uh, not you know mistakes where I had a good position and then suddenly it wasn't so good, but just horrific blunders in not very difficult positions, re- resulting in you know loss of pieces. This did not, I, I, you know, it obviously would be ridiculous to say that this never happened to me when I was 25, but uh, the frequency with which it happens, I think, has uh, increased quite dramatically. I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, it, it does. Um, do you? Uh, you mentioned in an interview you were getting ready for candidates at the time, so that was your your primary focus. What is uh? What are your up? What's your focus currently in terms of upcoming uh, tournaments? It does feel like you know, in terms of uh, in terms of motivating myself uh, as a chess player, I still feel that uh, you know the cycle is something I I care the most about. And uh, in terms of uh, you know competing in the cycle this year, there will be uh, three Grand Prix tournaments. Uh, uh, we assume, <laughs> right. as as always with uh, uh, with FIDE, it's an it's an assumption, despite you know all the dates and venues uh, already being published. Uh, you kind of take it on a case by case basis. I'm not playing in the first one. I'm playing in the second one, which is in Moscow in May, and uh, I expect it to happen in Moscow in May, and then we'll see, and then so on and so forth. Uh, so there's that as as a way to uh, as a way to try and qualify for, for for the candidates, and there's also the World Cup. So those two things are, uh, you know, by far the well, it's four tournaments, but kind of two two separate uh, separate things. Uh, those are the uh, the two things that occupy. 
you know, most of my uh, attention in terms of, uh, you know, immediate chess plans. I, I, I will play in some very strong events, but uh, just playing in a strong event, which is uh, like a standalone event, uh, not that I don't care, but uh, I still feel the cycle is uh, is the most exciting part of uh, part of the calendar year. Un- understandable, and you've been so close, you know, a handful of times. I'm sure uh, you're eager to get back at it. So another another thing, last topic related to age. I I noticed I heard in um, one of your Q and A's that you said your your nerves also are not what they used to be. Well, I'm. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not a walking disaster in that respect, but I do get. Uh, I mean, there are there were some instances which I think uh, can be attributed to that. I I wouldn't say that it's horrible, but um, you know, in particular, I think the the one thing where it's uh, it's very much a topic of conversation. If you ever want to discuss why what happened happened, would be the. Uh, the final match against uh, Karakin in Baku, where you know to do, to not win a match where you two nil up with uh, in a best of four, so to speak, and and you have a completely winning position in game three, uh, that does probably imply that uh, nerves got the better of me. But uh, all in all, I don't think uh, I don't think it's a major issue. But so, do you have uh, do you have a theory of why that happened? I was watching and rooting for you, of course, in that tournament. Well, uh, the the closeness of something which would have been, you know, I hesitate to, to use the term crowning achievement, but uh, winning two World Cups is uh, not something that uh, many people uh, will have done when you know. Uh, when everything is is counted on, I'm, I'm I'm fairly sure, you know, I'm, I'm quite comfortable saying that, uh, you know, in the history of World Cups as tournaments, there will not be very many people who won two of those. And uh, the feeling of uh, having this within my grasp uh, just uh, kind of uh, it got somewhat overwhelming for a bit at a very un- unfortunate moment because I only needed to think clearly for another like. Two minutes, and uh, <laughs> I mean, there was really one final decision to make, and then uh, anything short of uh, fatal heart attack would uh, would not be enough to prevent me from concluding the game correctly. Like, if you if you go if you remember the game, if you go queen c three instead of rook takes f two, after that, uh, every single line is about three moves long, and all of them are forced. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, th- there really wasn't a lot of play left in that position once you make the correct decision. And uh, the thing there was that Quincy 3 mo- was my original intention. And then I started seeing some ghosts there. And instead of just calculating through to the end, like persevering and not looking for other solutions, I, th- I asked myself a question of whether there's anything apart from Quincy 3 there. And I saw this idea of Rook takes F2, and it felt, it felt to me like it just wins on the spot. And I act, I checked it about five times. It's not as if I just saw it and decided to, to play it without checking. I checked it about five times, and I still couldn't see what's wrong with it. And I because I thought Rook F2 just wins on the spot, I did not return to Queen C3. And, uh, yeah, uh, that position is... Uh, I still see it. I, I, like, you, 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 you close your eyes, 
and there it is, that position right. where, <laughs> where you know, he goes e6, takes g5, and I, I have a choice. Yeah, not not a pleasant memory, but yeah. Well, you've you've got uh, lots of uh, lots of positive achievements you can also reflect on. Although although I am curious if uh, if you've done anything concretely uh, to prepare for any sort of similar high stakes uh, situation. Nope. Uh, that's another thing that uh, has been suggested by uh, both my immediate circle of friends and family and, you know, kindly strangers on Internet, which is somewhat more annoying <laughs> when people when, when people who don't really know you and uh, probably will never know you uh, suddenly send you. Uh, send you messages saying uh, I can see quite clearly something is wrong with you and I can fix it. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, uh, I've had that experience. Uh, yeah, I. If anything, it probably uh, drives me further away from <laughs> from uh, you know attempts to uh to fix it by i don't know consulting specialists or whatever i think that that is the most frequent thing that that people mention that you know sports psychology is a thing these days right and maybe uh talking to somebody who actually specializes in sports psychology might be might be uh, a useful thing to to attempt but uh have you uh it will be a weird question but uh i'll go with it anyway uh, do you remember uh, a, a nice day for banana fish? No, I do not. Could you explain it? Once again, I'm not sure if uh, what the current thinking on that is, but uh, I used to be and still am, although I haven't reread any of that in in a number of years. Um, at some point, I read the entire uh, J.D. Salinger canon, and I don't actually mean A Catcher in the Rye. That is a, a good book, but it was never my, my favorite of his, and... Uh, uh, one of his uh, short stories called The Perfect Day of Banana Fish, it does uh, uh, touch on the subject of uh, psychoanalysis. And uh, the way it covers the subject, I've, uh, I've, there are a number of things in my life which uh, have sort of direct, literally uh, reasons for them, so to speak. And uh, my severe distrust of uh, of that profession, for instance, stems very much from me <laughs> reading that story when I was at an, an impressionable age. Okay. And uh, the, we got there through talking about uh, sports psychologists, and uh, I kind of mistrust people who can sort of mess up your brain. Although I do understand that you know some of them must, by necessity, know what they're doing. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you you've gotten pretty far in chess without them, so I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't call a sports. Yeah, but still, I mean, I, I mean, uh, like as time as time goes on, uh, you know, calls for me to actually seek help they have increased in volume. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to discuss that one. I I don't know you that well, but. Uh, <laughs> But uh, your chest yeah. seems to be doing well. And a sort of tangentially related topic, uh, I know that in a Q&A you mentioned someone asked you what they could do outside of chess to improve, and you mentioned the possibility of, of meditation. 
Um, I come from poker and sort of trading background, and I feel like everyone in those fields meditates, but I haven't heard much about it in chess. Have you come across any top-level players who... Um, are- uh, not not openly. I'm, I'm pretty sure there are people out there who... I think I've seen anyone go on the record saying that they, uh, they do that. And... Um, yeah. Once again, the this is suggested that to me, uh, I met through through poker. Unsurprisingly, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's like it seems like fifty percent of professional poker players have taken up meditation. But chess is not chess is exhausting, but perhaps not quite as emotional on a game to game basis. At least in my humble opinion. Um. So getting uh, in terms of wrapping up, I just have one or two more questions for you. One was you you played in Gibraltar and there was this uh, controversy involving Hu Yi Fan and you got to witness it firsthand, at least to the extent you weren't distracted by mm. your, by your game. So I was curious if uh, what your opinion on the whole situation was. Well, it's it's very simple. Uh, when I saw this happening, I even uh, you know that actually is kind of breaching the rules a little bit. But uh, since there was no like cheating involved, I do. That is one rule I do uh, break every every now and again. You're really, really not supposed to talk to anyone during the game. Uh, but uh, as anyone who has ever seen me play in tournaments uh, will will testify, I generally, in particular, in uh, like during the candidates, uh, y- 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 you will not just get shushed. It will, uh, you know, they, they enforce it a lot more strictly. But during tournaments, which are somewhat more relaxed in in, in nature. Uh, I tend to incorrectly, and I, I know I'm I'm in the wrong there, uh, like the, uh, according to uh, the letter of the law. But I tend to interpret it as do not talk about chess during the game, uh, but uh, discussing you know the events of yesterday with fellow competitors. I uh, I do that quite a bit uh, if there is something that really needs to be. Uh, discussed, uh, obviously. I mean, uh, it's not that I, I spend all of my time between moves by in, in, in speaking with uh, with other players, but I I stay less completely silent than, than other people. So I went outside because, uh, like, I saw the game and it made no sense to me whatsoever. She was late for the game for about 20 minutes. Not f- the first time in that tournament, actually. And then she played G4 and I thought, okay, that's a bit drastic. But, you know, G4, I, I know people who play G4. Uh, not at this level, but it, the move doesn't lose. It's not a good move, but the move doesn't lose. Right. And, uh, but, but well after G5, she went F3. Uh, at this point, there was very, very little doubt that something, uh, something was going on. And then the game continued the way it continued, and uh, uh, I was playing my own, so I didn't really have time to, to watch it properly. And... Uh, uh, she resigned and went away and uh, obviously the entire tournament was uh, buzzing trying to figure out what was happening uh, so I went outside and there were some journalists standing there uh, waiting for news and clarification and I, I spoke to them because I you know it was so stunning in particular because it was coming from her uh, she uh, you, you know if uh, this is not a word that gets used uh, a great deal in chess, I think, the word ambassador of the game. Yeah? But uh, I think she's a tremendous ambassador of the game. I think uh, she's done uh, uh, a lot to 
to promote the game and uh, that was just so striking coming coming from her that uh, you really wanted to understand what's happening and then uh, we got told that she was upset about the pairings and my view then was a uh, she must know what she's doing uh, and and b uh, you know, if something is fishy about the pairings, this is you know probably not the way, uh, not the way to go about things. But it would uh, you know deserve a protest of some sort. But you know, a turned out to be incorrect because uh, you know these days uh, pairings are not just the result, but actually the process with which uh, you know uh, they were arrived at. It's very public. You go to chess result, you can download the file, uh, which is uh, what people have done. And uh, they checked. And uh, I think in one round, some manual uh, manual change was made somewhere around board 40-something to avoid pairing uh, an Iranian player versus, versus an Israeli player. And this is a different story, which is which has been breaking over the past couple of days. I don't know if you've seen that. Just the headline. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, that's less important. But the, the, what is important is uh, making such a drastic, uh, drastic protest. And uh, I mean, what she what she did amounts to uh, to throwing a game, which is no matter how you look at it, is extremely bad. Uh, also. Uh, the way she did it is severely disrespectful to uh, to her opponent, and it also influences the uh, very simply monetary outcome of the tournament. Not by a great deal, but it does. So it's it's wrong on any number of levels, and uh, to do it in a situation where you could, it probably required some effort because, uh, like, I installed the, the Swiss manager, but without actually paying for the Swiss manager, you cannot manually check the results of the pairings. But we all have, a, you know, an extensive uh, Skype and Facebook list. If you want to check, you can find somebody who has an operational version of Swiss manager and who can download the file and check. It takes about 30 minutes. Uh, and uh, doing what she's done in a situation where you know everything is is out in the open, you can check, and if you do check, it turns out that there's no cause for complaint. It's very regrettable, I think, yeah. because I, I think it will now be one of the things she will be remembered for, and that is just so completely unnecessary. She's a tremendously strong player, uh, and as I mentioned, uh, a tremendous uh, uh, ambassador for the game up to that moment. And now this will be, you know, an asterisk. Asterisk in, you know, in in any kind of a uh, record of her career, and that I think is very sad because uh, she really did not need to do that. Speaking of ambassadors of the game, I think that that you also have that that reputation. And I was curious if you have any examples of, uh, or you can recall any times where you behaved in a way that you regretted uh, during a game. I gave. I said some. Stupid things in interviews, uh, not criminally stupid, but uh, so, yeah, there are some examples I can name. And uh, um, in terms of sort of behavior over the board, I think I, uh, you know, I have some uh, 
personal habits, which uh, apparently after playing the game professionally for 25 years, uh, I was told some people find objectionable. For instance, uh, it is well known I don't like to, you know, sit at the board when it's not my move. But uh, getting up from the board when your opponent is in time trouble, I don't do it to tilt people or to distract them or anything. I just, you know, until they really have like less than a minute, if I don't need to be at the board, I don't like to be at the board. So it, it was never really influenced by, you know, an attempt to do something to them. I, I actually find it sort of more comforting not to be at the board when it's not my move. But it was explained to me that uh, that probably is something I need to cut down on. Huh, I didn't know that and, either. Uh, yeah, it wasn't entirely obvious to me because I knew what my motivation was. Like, uh, I don't need to explain to me why I'm doing that. I'm doing that because, honestly, I just find it more comfortable to think uh, away from the board. But uh, I can sort of understand that, uh, you know, in particular when you know, not every single chair will have wheels uh, so even physically sort of drawing the, the, the chair back to, to, to stand up, uh, it's difficult to do it completely silently. And, you know, uh, the, the entire thing might, might be distracting to your opponents. So I am now trying to consciously, uh, do that less. Uh, there was also, uh, a longer story involving Josh Waitskin, which I still remember with regret, although I did apologize, uh, later that day. I mean, that probably would be a, a good way, a good way to finish by, uh, by telling a, an unflattering story about myself from 20 something years ago. Uh, I played Josh twice in my life. I played him, uh, on a visit from Kasparov Chess School in it, when it was on its very, very last legs, had a visit, uh, like a trip to the States where we went to New York and then Seattle. And whilst in New York, we played like a 15 board match against, uh, I should remember what the club was called, but I don't. Uh, the, the Soviet slash Russian side won 14 and a half half. And the one draw was made by me playing against the kid who at that time uh, I could barely see from behind the board. Uh, he is a bit younger than me. and He was not a large kid in general. Yeah, he's he my... could already. Yeah, he, he could already play quite quite well, and uh, I was actually worse out of the opening, and then managed to somehow swindle my my way to a draw. And then I played him in the final round of uh, the World Under eighteenth uh, in uh, Seged in ninety four. And uh, in that tournament, uh, I think the situation before the last round was. I think maybe we were tied for first, I want to say, but I had a vastly superior tiebreak. Uh, and that included also everyone who could catch us up if they won their last round game. So basically a draw uh, would uh, secure me the title. And I was black against uh, Josh in, in the last round. I outrated him by a bit. And I was a bit older. And uh, in those years, I played sort of more or less exclusively the Peards, the Peards, as, as I'm supposed to say. I mean, I, I kind of gravitate towards saying Perk, which is like yeah. neither here nor there. It really, I mean, he was called Vice Peards. Uh, and uh, 
so I played the Pirates, and uh, Josh, after some thought, went for this, uh, like, Bishop d3, c3, knight of three, castles, rookie one, kind of symmetrical type of line. Uh, and then he played, I, I played e7, e5 at some point, and he took on e5, making the position completely symmetrical in terms, in terms of pawn structure. And only because of that d takes e5 decision, because otherwise I understood that like he needs to win and uh, much as I would like to make this draw and just go home, uh, the situation didn't really appear as if uh, it was on the cards. But because he took on e5, which uh, it was basically my lack of understanding more than anything else because I, I felt that it's completely unnecessary so early and it's a kind of a, uh, a tacit acceptance of uh, you know achieving nothing out of the opening. Uh, which it isn't, and uh, wasn't his intention at all. Uh, I recaptured on e5 with a pawn and offered a draw, uh, thinking that uh, maybe he doesn't want to do it himself, but the way he appear, uh, approached the opening did not seem particularly ambitious. Uh, was immediately rebuffed, uh, and the game continued as it should have done. And uh, it was quite a sharp game. Uh, I think maybe I was slightly worse at some point. But then I managed to trick him a little bit. And he missed a very weird tactical shot at one point. And suddenly his position, it, it was like once the, the move is made on the board, it becomes immediately available, uh, uh, immediately obvious that his position is about to collapse, even though like material is equal and seemingly nothing, nothing drastic is going on. But the moment you see you see that move, you just you just realize that. Uh, Material will start dropping very soon, and he he sank into very deep thought at that point. Uh, made some kind of a move, although at that point it really didn't matter which move he made. The position is just bad, and offered me a draw. And uh, uh, I got uh, uh, slightly overexcited because I, I I could see by that point that I was probably winning and that would secure me not even a shared first place but the, an outright first place. So I I said something like, "Hmm, that's interesting," in reply, <laughs> which was completely unnecessary, of course. And I uh, I said no, continued the game and won. And uh, I came up to him during the press, uh, not the press conference, the closing ceremony, and I apologized because uh, there was no call for that. If that's the worst offense you commit, I think uh, it will be a career uh, well well behaved. I, I try to. I mean, I once again, it's for others to judge, but I think uh, you know, in general. Uh, uh, I, I try to you know not commit too many. Too many misdemeanors, and I mean chess is chess is not that difficult to. I mean, uh, I I think uh, one of the reasons why the Hoi Fine story uh, was so striking was that, in general, you you will you will struggle to find uh, you know stories about chess players misbehaving during games. Chess players misbehaving in between games, that would be a completely different, <laughs> different subject separate, altogether. Separate podcast. Yeah, yeah but, but, but chess players misbehaving during games, I think that's an extremely small subset of stories. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I think yeah, it may, my, it may be more common at the club level, actually. Possibly, yeah. But uh, in terms of professionals playing, playing against each other, I think, 
it, it really doesn't happen very much. And uh, I think most people will will proudly claim an unblemished career in that respect. Okay. Uh, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, by uh, providing this as an example of something I've done, which I regret. I'm not trying to say that, you know, I'm some kind of paragon of virtue. I think chess players in general are uh, correct, uh, you know, correct in the people in terms of uh, behavior towards their colleagues. You do. You generally need to learn how to lose sooner or later, no matter no matter. Who yeah, you no, are. that's yeah, that's that's a bit different. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, sharp reactions to to painful losses are uh, are not unknown and. Uh, uh, this year I will play uh, in Zurich in a tournament dedicated to the memory of uh, Viktor Korchnoi. And most of us can tell you Korchnoi stories. But uh, <laughs> but in general, I think, uh, you know, chess players are mild-mannered and people and they do understand the uh, the way the, the, the etiquette works and abide by it. Okay, final question is from a listener, Peter. Uh, circling back to our friend Jan, uh, this listener, mm. Rob G., is a big fan of Radio Jan and was wondering if there will ever be a Radio Peter to make an appearance on Chess 24. Yeah, this this, this does crop up every now and again. <laughs> and uh, But I think it just it would have to be something completely different uh, to, to Radio Jan because, you know, a similar persona would be extremely hard for me to sustain for any length of time. <laughs> It has taken Jan some time to actually. Uh, I've been very impressed. I, I, I just thought he, you know, puts on puts on glasses and a, and a, and, a, and a hat and, and insults people. But he actually, uh, you know, some very serious preparation went into that. There is a whole persona there with a with a backstory and a certain chess level Jan Star tries to stick to and uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, so for me. I'm not sure what what the alter ego would be there, uh, but uh, uh, I, I honestly I don't I don't think it 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 even I mean trying to occupy the same niche just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever, and uh, I don't really know. Like I can go from a uh, you know from a soft-spoken nerdish. Uh, you know, nerdish Russian guy to what exactly? <laughs> I'd actually welcome some suggestions because uh, I think I'm at some point I will be supposed to to do a great number of uh, varied uh, online shows for Chess24, and uh, if someone can come up with a format that that I can. Uh, <laughs> I can actually uh, use as, as some kind of an alternative to uh, a vanilla bunter bit, so to speak. I'd, I'd welcome that a great deal. So if uh, if any of your listeners, apart from just asking for for Radio Peter, could provide a backstory to to to, to Radio Peter, I, I could actually use. Uh, there could be there could be a prize in the unit for them. Okay, listeners. So tweet at Palborda. Yeah. Sure. Okay, well, Peter, when I when I created this podcast, uh, you were one of the first people I dreamed of having. So for you to actually come on and be so generous with your time um, is is a great honor. Thank you so much for doing this. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Perpetual Chess. To hear more episodes, give feedback, or suggest guests, go to perpetualchesspod.com. If you like the show, please help me out by telling your friends and giving me a high rating on iTunes. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Thank you.
Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.